this is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything about assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot, and look who it is. It's Mr. Ryan Flurry. It's me again. Hello, everybody. And uh, no Steve Barkley today. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah, he was hemming and hawing about it, but he decided no. Yeah, he's got he's to get ready for his vacation, so. That's right. So we should make note, a uh, scheduling uh, note for all the, hmm, what are we going to call Steve's, Steve's, <laughs> uh, Steve's groupies. Groupies. Barklets. Barkles. <laughs> all you Barkleheads. I don't know. Whatever you, whatever you want to call yourselves. Uh, yeah, Steve is on vacation for the next uh, few weeks. So it's uh, going to be a lot of, a lot of me and you, buddy together again well maybe i'll see if i can bring in the guest host we'll see what happens. well yeah you never know you never know around here that's right that's um what sorry what was that that's why you have to stay tuned to at banter because you just don't know what each week is going to bring you exactly exactly that's why people keep coming back for more that must be it i don't know if you had a chance to take a look at that link i sent you about that vision impaired woman on TikTok and some of the stuff that she's talking about when it comes to her, her blindness, vision impairment, um, you know, how TikTok still has a ways to go when it comes to, you know, inclusivity, diversity, accessibility um, of their website, even for that matter. I, look at, I looked at it earlier, um, but it's interesting to see that such a massive media platform still can't get digital accessibility right. <laughs> Well, these social media platforms, they're so, you know, they're just chasing each other, right? Like every, they're just clamoring to be the next big platform. And I, th I think that accessibility is fairly low, low down on their priority list. They just want to get in, get popular, and then, you know, whatever, die off. Although, you know, we really haven't seen any social media platforms at this point really die off. I guess the, probably the last one that really did, did was like, MySpace. Yeah, and it's inter it's interesting because, like I said, I took a look at the website and this woman's TikTok channel, I guess it is, or whatever it's called. But, you know, unlabeled buttons, the links to her videos are just numbered. They don't actually say what the video is. There's no descriptive, no descriptive text at all. It's just link 2492, and you click on it, and you start, you know, hearing or watching her video. But what a mess. Like, <laughs> But yeah. she's also she also talks about how there's a lot of people who – are trolls, right? And casting negativity towards people on these platforms and the disability community on these platforms. And, you know, TikTok, just like Facebook and everybody else have a long way to go when it comes to kind of keeping that stuff out. Although the other side of that is everybody has freedom of speech. So I don't know how you or where you draw that line. Yeah, they, um, I don't know. Um... You know, part of me wants to say that a lot of these platforms are, are fads, like, you know, things are, are really big on a platform for a while until the, the next big thing comes out. I mean, yeah. if you think back to Facebook, I mean, yeah, sure, Facebook's still big and it's still ubiquitous, but um, the, the demographic that's using it has, has definitely shifted over the yes. years. Uh, you know, it used to be something for, for young kids. Um, yeah but that's totally shifted. It's completely reversed. Now the major demographic of Facebook is, you know, 40 to 60 year olds mm -hmm. and all the, all the younger kids, they've all, they've all migrated to things like Snapchat or TikTok or Instagram even. Yep. Um, and even influencing. I mean, if you, you have really, really large influencers on, on a platform like Instagram, as opposed to um, Facebook, yeah. uh, YouTube, you know, there's, it's it's always the, the, that landscape is always shifting, and I, I feel like that's part of this whole accessibility puzzle because they you know they 
Release. <laughs> yeah, they, well, kind of. I mean, be, but it's, you know, again, it's because they're not building these things mm -hmm. from the ground up being accessible. They All the accessibility features of all these platforms have always been things that they've tacked on yeah. later yeah. on. So... Well, that's one of the things they were saying when I was looking at her, her write-up as well, um, is one of her other influencers, friends, I think who's hearing impaired, um, has a channel on TikTok and was saying the captioning is just horrid, right? And of course, it's, it's back to that AI doing the captioning for you, right? It's but just probably just like YouTube, it's just not that intelligent yet. Well, there you go. So I don't know. Is, is this a potential guest? Are you thinking about reaching out to her? Should we give her a plug? What, what's... Well, I don't remember her name. Um, so you'd have to look at the link and pull up her, her TikTok stuff and see if you can find me some contact info. So I was thinking about reaching out to her and asking her about her TikTok channel and so on and so forth. But hmm. I need info. Because <laughs> TikTok's not accessible. Although it must be to a certain degree if she can post videos and that she's got help. I don't know. Yeah, that's great. Uh, her name is, let's give her a little bit of a shout out. Sure. Uh, her name is Courtney Cole. Uh, if you look in the show notes, we'll include her tag, her TikTok tag. Oh, that's fun to say. Um, and uh, there you go. You can go check out her videos for yourself. Who knows? Maybe we'll even get her on the show. Hey, um, have you been watching any Olympics? Off and on. Yeah, my wife likes to watch the swimming and the gymnastics. And so, of course, if I'm sitting there, I'll catch some of it too but as mentioned on previous shows i'm not a big summer olympics fan i like the winter snowboarding skiing that sort of stuff is any of it described have you watched any described content or has it been described or what's the to be honest i haven't even noticed supposedly i think nbc said all of it was going to be described right and we do have audio description turned on on our cable box but i don't even notice hmm. yeah i'll have to pay attention tonight and see there you go. If any of our listeners have been watching the Olympics and you've noticed that they are audio described, uh, drop us a line. Man, we're just soliciting. <laughs> Please reach out to us. Friendly <laughs> with Steve. We have are we just talking talk to ourselves again? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Did you hear this? Um, did Did you hear about this gymnast that dropped out um, because of mental health issues? No. What's her name? Simone something. Simone Biles, I believe her name is. A uh, young American gymnast. Yeah, uh, she's dropped out of the competition citing mental health issues. Um, I guess just her head's not in the game or whatnot. Um, I, I don't think she's pulled out the of the entire Olympics, just certain events. She's kind of going to see if she can, um, I guess, participate in some of the later gymnast gymnastic events right. um i thought yeah thought it's interesting i it's never happened before um yeah there's a lot of firsts happening at these olympic games yeah i mean uh, on the one hand i think it is good i think mental Absolutely. health is always a, a good topic and it's it's something that needs to not be stigmatized and and to be accepted you know and uh, so in in that sense, I think that it's that it is good. It's it's good that something high profile like that is is happening. And I mean, I don't think that it can be you know understated how much of a hard decision I'm sure that was for for her. I mean, you don't train for years and years and years to go to the, at the Olympics to just get there and arbitrarily just pull out of events. I'm sure that you know this is something that's serious to her, and it's not just her like not feeling like competing. Um, so, you know, I'm sure it's, it's something serious, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really interesting. We're having, we're having discussions about things that we've never had before. And I think, I feel like that's always a good thing. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, these Olympics were supposed to take place last year and got postponed due to the pandemic. So everybody that was possibly at their peak and ready to compete had a whole nother year of going through training practices, getting ready again in the hopes that the Olympics were going to happen this year. And they almost didn't as well. So, you know, there's, there's that struggle as well that everybody's had to deal with. Yeah. I'm sure that wasn't easy as well. Although, you know, it, it seems to me like, I know that we we're a little bit down on the Olympics last week and I kind of was like, Oh, it's, it's going to be a disaster. So, you know, so far, you know, we're a weekend. It seems to be going okay. So I, I don't know, maybe, Maybe it is okay, but I, I guess we'll find out in a couple of weeks when, you know, any sort of 
it's it it takes that long for you know the virus to spread um so we'll see if there's any sort of big spike after these hopefully not well and part of the problem is that in two weeks that's when yeah we're going to find out whether this was ends up being a super spreader event and so if there is a big spike well guess guess what the paralympics is walking straight into that so it it could actually be a really bad thing for the for the paralympics well and going forward too it's going to be really interesting because we're already starting to have discussions or see discussions of employers saying you can't come back to work unless you're vaccinated google announced i saw today that they are requiring their employees to be vaccinated. So what is that going to look like three months, six months from now when people have a right to vaccinate or not? It's not against the law not to be vaccinated. And can employers, do employers have the right to let you go if you're not vaccinated? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. going to be a very interesting times going forward. Well, you know, like I said, we're not we're not really out of the woods yet. And I just no. saw today that uh, they've they've reversed the the mask mandate even here. I know that they it's it's been a few days since they've done it in the states, but they just did it here too in Kelowna and in the interior interior right. health region because there's a bit of a spike going on there. So yeah, they had 150 new cases yesterday. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry. I think that was BC, but still the interior health had the higher number. Yeah. They said almost half of that number right. was only just from that district. So right. um, they've, they've reinstated the mask mandates for indoor gatherings there. So um, yeah, you know, it could very well be that we see a fourth wave here soon enough. So yeah. Great, great news. Well, there was also another announcement on the news the other night that said, for those people who are not vaccinated, they are probably going to they are probably going to see restrictions placed on them versus those who have been vaccinated. So, you know, our our rights and freedoms, I guess, if you're vaccinated, are going to be great. But if you're not vaccinated, you may not be able to go to a concert or go to the theater or you know, whatever the example might be, unless you show proof of your vaccine. So, yeah, well, I don't even know about that because really has there been an, a, some sort of a mechanism where they've really been tracking vaccinations like that would, in order to do something like that, we, they would need to issue some sort of a vaccine passport. Like right. Which is still about, in talks which, and nobody could agree on. Yeah. Which they haven't done. They right. haven't done it at this point. Like, yeah. so that, and all that stuff takes months to spin up. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's going to be really no way to show a really effective foolproof mm -hmm. proof of vaccination anyways at this point. So right. it doesn't even matter. Like, how hard is it would be to go to your employer and be like, yeah, I got vaccinated. Totally. Here you go. Here's a little cardboard <laughs> card, card. <laughs> or a sticker. Here's, here's my sticker that says I got vaccinated. Okay. Honest. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's going to, I don't know how, it's I, gonna I don't know what's going to, how that's all going to work either, but whatever yeah. that's beyond our pay grade. All we have to worry about is what the hell we're doing today. Well, today, nice segue, by the way. Thanks. I know I was practicing that all day. Excellent. Today, we are speaking with author, entrepreneur, and CEO of Founderspace, Steve Hoffman. The Hoff. Captain Excellent. Hoff. Captain Hoff. Yeah, I guess the Hoff is taken. I believe that's taken. <laughs> I guess he couldn't, he couldn't take that moniker, but so it's Captain Hoff. All right. That's right. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm interested to hear about uh, some, some speculative tech. Yeah, reading some of his bio and, and watching some of the YouTube videos he's done, there's some pretty interesting tech that is being worked on and some of the things he will probably talk about. Yeah, I, I took a listen to a little bit of his stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's pretty out there, pretty cutting edge. So uh, I think we're still a ways away from a lot of this stuff, but sure, it's going to be sure. interesting to hear what, you know, what could be down the road for for both mainstream technology as well as assistive technology applications for that. Yeah, well, and a lot of technology starts out with mainstream and then trickles down, right? So well, pretty much everything. We probably won't see much of it in our lifetime, but the generation coming behind us, be ready. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they might have other problems. 
we oh, have that's true. problems to fix uh, the climate <laughs> as I sit here hot as hell in my living room when it's like 29 degrees out yeah you got to get a portable air conditioner apparently and apparently they're having heat waves in europe oh are so, they yeah they say i uh, was it did i read today germany's getting up to like 42 between 42 and 45 mm. yeah 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 it's warm all right. Well, you know what? Uh, enough about uh, current events and the weather. Uh, let's uh, bring on our guest. Joining us now is Steve Hoffman. Welcome, sir. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, I'm my pleasure. Maybe we can just start out by just giving us a little bit of a snapshot of what, what it is that you do and what sort of got you into talking about future tech in terms of assistive technology? What I do is I run a startup incubator and accelerator. It's a place where we bring in young companies and we help them raise capital, venture capital. We help them with marketing. We help them with their business plan. We help everything they need, legal, whatever they need to get going. That is my company, Founder Space, has been around for over a decade. We've been doing that. I'm also an entrepreneur, so I've run three venture-funded tech startups out of Silicon Valley, and I know what it's like. What got me started on the future is that I have the opportunity to meet really smart entrepreneurs, really smart scientists, really amazing investors all over the world that are funding projects that will eventually change everything we know, everything about business, everything about our lives, government, you name it, people are innovating on that. And that got me thinking, what, what, you know, what will these technologies mean for all of us? Like whether you have a disability, whether you don't have a disability, how will they play into society? And I spent a good chunk of time writing a book called The Five Forces That Change Everything. And in that book, I go really deep on some of the technologies I'll talk to you about today. Great. So, um, and I'm just kind of curious because you're interfacing with a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs and a lot of these startups. And I'm sure you've talked to people who are actively working on things like assistive technology. And I'm, I'm always curious because what we've generally found in the past is that a lot of these technologies are developed for mainstream applications. And then at some point someone goes, oh, wow, you know what? Like this would actually be really handy for like whatever, blind people, but it's almost an afterthought. Is that what, what you tend to find or are there people actively out there that are like actively looking for assistive technology solutions and developing products specifically for that? I find both cases to be true. Of course, there are a lot more people focused on the mainstream market because there's a lot of money to be made there. So an example is voice recognition technology, you know, and Siri and Alexa and all these, you know, they were developed for the mainstream, but we can see the applications as an assistive technology. They're pretty amazing what, what people can do with them. But there are startups out there that are just focused on assistive technology. So I have startups um, who have been working in our incubator with new types of braille readers like that are you know, electronic and, and really amazing. I have you know, been working with startups who are developing brain computer interfaces and tying them to prosthetic limbs, which is a whole new area, uh, which will dramatically affect people who've you know lost a limb or are in some way disabled what i find really fascinating the, the brain computer interfaces it, it's incredible and even you know the, probably the last time we really did a bit of a deep dive into that it was probably five or six years ago and i remember even at the time some of the the advancements they that they had made at that point were pretty amazing but i mean part of the the challenge behind that is that at least historically, in order to sort of get more than surface level brain waves, you, you'd have to be fairly invasive in terms of like you'd actually have something like actually drilled into your head to to actually access that. 
is that changing are, are they is the technology getting to the point where we're going to be able to to do some of that like access things like the motor cortex um, without having an invasive procedure done there's been enormous steps made in that direction we call these non-invasive brain computer interfaces and basically they're still limited like if you really want to have a greater degree of control you do have to get a chip put in your head. And most people won't do this. Like who wants to have their head cut open and, and a chip implanted in their brain? It's a risky operation and you don't know the long-term effects, but there are people who are doing this right now. So they are people who have conditions like locked-in syndrome where they've had a stroke and they're completely paralyzed. So their whole quality of life is, is, has been reduced to very narrow, way that they can actually communicate. But with a brain-computer interface, actually a chip in their head, and they've done this, uh, people can uh, use robotic arms with their brain, actually use that robotic arm to feed themselves. They can sit in a wheelchair and with that chip in their brain, drive or guide that wheelchair around. They can also send text messages just by thinking the thoughts in their brain and communicating that over the internet. So that itself is amazing. And you know, Elon Musk, he wants to put chips in everybody's brain. He wants to take this mass market. But most of the companies out there are starting with people with disabilities. And they are rolling out right now. There's companies like Kernel, many other companies that are developing these really advanced brain-computer interface chips to put in people. However, that said, we are also making great strides in non-invasive. And the most basic form of non-invasive brain-computer interface is where you put electrodes around your skull. And this can be a simple cap that you wear with the electrodes, and they read your brain waves. Now, traditionally, these have been very crude instruments. You couldn't really do much with them. However, these EEG devices are getting better thanks to artificial intelligence. They are able to sift through all the noise because they're very noisy and actually pull out information from people that, that is useful. So controlling a drone, turning on and off the lights, basic things like that. Now on the horizon, there's a host of new technologies that are non-invasive for brain-computer interface. Everything from lasers that, uh, that can be shot into your head that are not dangerous, <laughs> they penetrate the skin and penetrate the brain, to different types of, of sound and other things that they can use to start to see into the brain. And they have been using these. Uh, they have one in, at UC San Diego that they were using uh, where a person could act, they could actually read the thoughts of a person, which is absolutely astounding. So you're, we are getting these brain-computer interfaces that maybe not next year or the year after, but give us a decade or two, and these are going to be really useful to both people with disabilities, but also the general public. It's moving so fast. I, I can also tell you um, from my personal experience, I've done a lot of consulting with both big corporations and startups in the brain-computer interface area. And it's really a lot of money is going into this. And a lot of applications are being developed for this. For example, Facebook just acquired a company out of Silicon Valley that makes a, a device that can actually uh, sense your nerve, what your nerve, the signals your nerves are transmitting from your brain to your hand. So you wear this device on your wrist, and from that simple wrist device, you can uh, start to control things like uh, a hand in a virtual reality, or in aug or objects in augmented reality. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a device that's around your brain. It just has to be a device on your body where you're communicating through, let's say your limbs, trying to move your hand, and it intercepts those signals, and then it, it decodes them, and then it can actually produce the same result in a computer environment, or it can control a robotic arm remotely, doing the same movements as your hand. 
That is a very basic example, but they're taking the same technology and they're putting it into prosthetics. So if you, if you lost your arm or your leg, you can actually capture those signals and send them on through the device. And not only can that device uh, grasp something or propel you along like as, if, as walking, but that device can also be uh, equipped with sensors that feed back uh, the, what that artificial hand, that prosthetic hand is feeling and touching and transmit that back into your brain. And that's where it gets really interesting. It's interesting. You know, I have so many questions because as somebody who is totally blind and had sight, full sight for 23 years, I lost my sight in a car accident. And I know there are some people who would say, why, why, why do I want to get my sight back? Is it okay to remain disabled or blind? Um, are you fine with that? Everybody has a choice to make. You know, for me personally, I think if I could get some usable functional vision back, probably sign me up. There's a lot of things I miss seeing. Um, but the other side of that coin is, you know, we, we are in the assistive technology field and we know the costs involved with a lot of this stuff. So is some of this technology, you know, of course, right away, it, it is mainstream tech and will trickle down for the most part. But all of this stuff is very, very, very expensive. And so, you know, have, have there been questions about ethics around this and, and, and conversations with the disability community about the, these different technologies? I don't think there are enough conversations. Now, there are specific startups that are focusing on the disabled community, mm -hmm. and they uh, are engaging uh, their target market, let's say, and getting feedback from them in the development. But more broadly, not as much as you would like. Sure. So most people are just focused on what they're focused on, making money, and they're going to go for the biggest market and the biggest profit they can. That said, in Silicon Valley, I know a number of startups doing amazing work. And I'll give you an example of one. So there is a company run by a neuroscientist, David Eagleman, in Silicon Valley, and it's called Neosensory. And they are actually making a device for hearing impaired people and deaf people. Now, again, this is just a little bracelet you can wear on your skin, and it literally can transmit audio that you would normally hear through your ears into little sensations, pulses on your skin. And what they found in testing this is that the brain, because the brain, any input to the brain, it will automatically look for patterns. Brains are pattern matching machines. So within a relatively short amount of time, like a week, a person can start a deaf person or even a person with hearing will start to intuitively interpret what that audio is and, and actually use that as information about the world around them. Now, David Eagleman, he's pretty amazing. He actually created a whole vest that does this, like a vest. So all across your back, you're feeling these sensations and the vest is very good because it has so much more surface area. Right. However, most people don't want to wear the vest every day. So he has compacted it down into a bracelet, which he is hoping to get out to everybody. Um, uh, you know, every, anybody with a hearing disability can get this. And in, if you're partially, you, you, you're, 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 you can hear, but you, you know, you're partially deaf, you can still use this to get cues from people around you that you might have not been aware of before. So... This, this device is, is really cool. It's not on the market yet, but it, he, what he wants to do, he has venture funding from some big venture capitalists, is he literally um, has focused on this problem and is bringing it to market just for the disabled community. Yeah, it's interesting to, to hear that. And I may have to do a little bit of research on, on David and possibly get him on the show to talk about that. I want to circle back a little bit and talk about artificial intelligence. I feel like artificial intelligence is is one of these terms that a lot of people don't really understand what it is we're talking about. But I feel like 
it's been a real game changer in terms of its application because really when you apply it to all kinds of different technologies, it really elevates those technologies. Could you, in sort of just kind of general layman's terms, explain what what we mean when we talk about artificial intelligence and maybe some of the applications that it's it's being implemented into? Artificial intelligence is a really transformative technology because literally you can apply AI to almost any problem out there and come up with a better solution. So what AI does, AI feeds on data. So the more data you give an AI, those algorithms, the smarter it can become. In this way, they call it deep learning. AI can learn as, it, as it's used in real life or in simulations. Now, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are looking to apply AI to helping people with disabilities. And I gave the example earlier, brain-computer interfaces. Like you're getting all this information, all this data from the brain. We don't know what it is. And it's really hard for humans to process it because it's just such a massive amount of, of confusing information mixed in with random noise and other things. But an AI is really good at that. It's really good at looking for correlations, pattern matching, and putting those pieces together in a meaningful way that it can take action on. So right now, I'll tell you a few really cool AI applications that have, will have impacts for people with disabilities. Number one, uh, they, are building for, they are building exoskeletons right now. So exoskeletons, for those of your audience who don't know, they are literally like a robotic skeleton you know, on the, that you wear like a suit, a suit of armor that can propel you. So this could take a person who can't walk and enable them to walk and even run. It can take people, they're using it for industry like construction, allowing people to pick up heavy objects or in, you know, in warehouses to pick up and move heavy objects because it makes them into almost superhumans. This technology is relying more and more on AI because you, the human being, have to control this exoskeleton. And the best way to control an exoskeleton ultimately will be with your brain, just like you control your normal lens. So the exoskeleton will be extracting that information, the AI will be extracting that information, analyzing it, and allowing people to use these exoskeletons. Now what's really cool is not only have they developed these exoskeletons, but they are now developed what they call super numerary limbs. And they've been working on this at MIT for a while and other universities. And supernumerary limbs are extra limbs you can attach to your body. And those limbs can do all sorts of things. So people could start to adapt who they are and how they function in the world in totally new ways. And again, um, in the lab, they like in Japan, they've been working on brain-computer interfaces with AI so people can control these. Now, that's just one example. AI is everywhere in everything we do. Like it's in our smartphones, in the applications. So if you're using Siri, that's all AI. If you're using uh, Alexa from Amazon, the AI is powering that. Every time uh, you are going to interact with one of these apps, um, it is going to be going into the real world and figuring things out. And AI is at the point now where it can take robots and literally you know, drive them down streets. We know self-driving cars, you know, and robots. A person with disability will be able to have an AI-powered robot in their house doing a lot of the things that they may have had to hire a human for. People who are aging, right, and can't take care of themselves anymore will also be using these robots. So AI is in so many different areas. And if you think about it, some uh, people with disabilities, like if you are a stroke victim and you, you, know, you can't get around for whatever reason, can't communicate. Let's say you, you can't uh, speak uh, with a stroke. Well, they're working on AI now that will help you communicate, that will look into your brain, see what you want to say. And even though you can't say it, will say it for you. So those are just a few examples. I'd be dropping a lot of F-bombs. <laughs> yes and the ai will have to deal with that <laughs> good luck ai 
they'll just they'll have it. It'll have some sort of an auto version of autocorrect, and you get a shock every time you drop an F bomb. Bring Clippy back. <laughs> no, not Clippy. <laughs> Gosh, a robotic Clippy wandering around my apartment. That's uh, so. Let me ask you this then. So, how fast is some of this technology being developed? And I know it, it varies depending on who's working on it and what the technology is, but like, do you see noticeable difference, like say in just a year when you compare, you know, where one technology was a year ago to where it is now? Is it, is it shocking to you? In certain cases it is, but we have to remember from the time a technology is conceived till the time it actually has practical applications like in the world can be a very long time. So AI itself, that was around in the 1950s. They had pretty sophisticated algorithms way back then. But it is 70 years later that we're now seeing the full potential of AI. It took a long time because AI needed a lot of other things. They needed sensors, all these sensors to get gather data. They needed the internet to gather data off the internet and all our communications to feed these AI to make them so useful. So some technologies move really fast, others, uh, like AI move really slow. And then all of a sudden they hit an inflection point wherever the whole ecosystem for that technology is functional. And then they just take off. So for each of these technologies, it can be very hard to predict how fast it will come, what a big impact it will, it will have. I remember when I was a kid at University of California, Davis, where my father taught, there was a professor, Paul Mahler, developing flying cars. Well, he was half a century too soon. Like he, you know, today we are starting to see flying cars, like they're becoming a reality. But in his kind of, he's retired now. Unfortunately, he was just way too soon. Like we didn't have, you know, everything we need, including AI for the flying cars to balance them and control them that we would need to actually make them practical. So you will see some of these technologies um, coming really fast. So the ones, the AI is already here. So anything AI can be applied to, to make your life better as a person with disabilities, you can bet that eventually it will be applied to that. And that's a great thing. Other technologies will take longer. So, um, and let me talk about some of those because there's some really cool technologies kind of in the pipeline right now. One of these is called bioprinting. So they are actually taking cells living cells and with a 3D printer printing out organic matter. Now these can be things used in lab, cells used in laboratories, but they hope one day to actually be able to print entire organs. So people who, you know, need an organ transplant, they could print it out just like you would print out, you know, uh, something on a 3D printer. Uh, they also hope, you know, like if you lost your ear, if your ear got severed, they would hope to print out a, 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 an ear for you that you could literally attach onto your head. Now that's still a ways out, that's a ways out, but th they are working on that now in the lab. The technology called CRISPR, which allows them to edit genes is another treasure trove of, of new products and services and, uh, and abilities it will give human beings. So they've already taken uh, people, there's, a, there's peop some people have congenital blindness. They're born and at a certain age, they go blind. Well, they actually came up with a gene therapy, gene therapy that they can administer to anybody with this disease while they're young and actually prevent blindness. So it's Spark Therapeutics. That's the company that does it. And it's incredibly expensive, unfortunately, just like way too expensive but it does work and it has totally changed people's lives. You know, they go from a person who would for sure go blind and have this disability to somebody who isn't. They are also working on bionic eyes, uh, which you may be interested in, Ryan. Um, they are, the, the, everything like your head is literally, your brain is literally trapped inside a black box. Your brain doesn't know anything about the real world. All it knows is the signals it's getting. And they are getting really good now at making signals that 
literally can feed directly into the optic nerve and you could see. Now, those aren't quite ready for prime time yet, but they are coming. Same with auditory signals. So we will have in the not too distant future, uh, bionic eyes and bionic ears and things like that, that will be coming uh, into the marketplace. Another product, which is here today, and I don't know if you've tried this, Ryan, I'm really interested if, if you have. Have you tried the brain port product by YCAB? No, but I think in our previous assistive technology company we worked at, the brain port has actually been around for a while. Is that the one that gives you the little haptic feedback on your tongue? Exactly. Yeah. So you can literally start to see through your tongue. Yeah, I never tried it. it sounds too bizarre for me. <laughs> you know, it sounds bizarre, but if you, once you understand neuroscience, you begin to understand just like the, that David Eagleman is developing something where you can hear through your skin, mm -hmm. seeing through your tongue, all it is is signals. So when you boil it down to vision, uh, audio, everything, touch, it's just signals going to your brain. So there are other pathways into the body where we can put these signals. Right. And that is, I will tell you, it's the next frontier, like for people with disabilities, it will allow people with disabilities to all of a sudden really overcome these disabilities simply because our brains are so malleable. They're so good at interpreting whatever they're fed that it doesn't matter if it's a signal through your tongue. Now the brain port, and you, you, I recommend you at least try it, just <laughs> if only for the fun of it, it's still a very fuzzy image. It's not, you know, it's not something that's high resolution. It's very low resolution because the number of nerves in your tongue is limited and you have to walk around with this device on your tongue as well as kind of a camera-like device on your forehead. So it's a bit awkward. Mm. Uh, but um, the possibility of that happening is what's amazing, that, that we can even do that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I don't know where we're at with brain mapping, mind mapping, but, you know, I always remember that the brain is so complicated that, you know, we, we still don't have a full understanding of how it all works. And so, you know, I know for myself, my, my eyes themselves are shrunken because they were damaged in my accident. My optic nerve was severed. So for me, they would have to bypass the optic nerve altogether and go straight into the visual cortex. Um, but something like the brain port, you know, if they can get some usable functional vision would definitely be an option for some people if they chose to, to go that route. So I've, I've another question for you. So how, because I know that a lot of the challenges of some of this is that technologies are often very connected. So you can, we can be fairly advanced in one type of technology, but if another, the, like sort of a technology that needs to be paired with that technology in order to make a marketable device is, is possible, it slows the process down. And the, the example that I can think of is say VR headsets. For a long time, we had, we had sort of part of the solution. We were able to you know, drive an image to to glasses, but we didn't have this the the LCD screen technology to the point where we could have a small enough screen that would fit into a headset. And so it took a while for those VR helmets to really materialize. Is is that kind of a thing in this space? That's absolutely a thing. So we call it dependencies. So you know, if you're going to build a product and you have one technology that's ready to go but it's dependent upon another technology that isn't quite there yet, you can't do it. You're, you, it's a roadblock and you're gonna have to wait. Also, possibilities open up when you pair these technologies in new ways. So a lot of times they'll have the concept for what they want to do, but they won't know all the different technologies to use. Now, fortunately, the internet itself has been an amazing invention, you know, one of the great inventions of humanity that goes, you know, in parallel, like writing was a great invention. The printing press was a great invention. They transformed the world. Well, the internet, what it's done is it's connected everybody, all of our brains, all of our minds in the world. And it's putting massive amounts of information, making it available to scientists and even lay people all around the world to access. So 
these technologies, as they are born, they proliferate very fast. And we, uh, and it doesn't take, it only takes one person in one country, in one city, it could even be a remote village to actually see how to pair these technologies together to get over the hurdle that they need to get over to actually make it possible. So the result is that innovation is speeding up. We are gonna see more new products for disabled people in the next 10 years, probably, than we have seen in all of history. Like just the number of products and things. It, it is, what we are seeing is that all technology and, and the commercialization of these is going mu really much faster than it ever has historically. I mean, you look, and for a millennia, like we barely did anything for disabled people. Like <laughs> there was almost no, you know, you go back to, you know, a BC or you go back to, you know, uh, you know, a thousand years or, or 1500 years ago, literally like they just, they didn't, you know, they're very crude and almost nothing changed for like hundreds and hundreds of years. Now we see new products coming out all the time. Like there's, you have this show that is highlighting all these new things that are coming out. So I think it's a, uh, a for the disabled community, it's never been a better time and it will only get better. So how much does the market drive a lot of this stuff? And I, I asked because I, as we were talking, I was thinking back to the Google Glass and how that was a technology that came out and it really, it seemed like it got kind of got like a lukewarm reception. It, it kind of felt like it was, it was too soon. And really we haven't heard a heck of a lot more from them. I know that, that, you know, it's still around. There are companies that are using it as a platform to, to build other things, but really it hasn't become that next big thing. Um, how often does that type of thing happen? And, and how much is, does, does the market factor into, you know, developing and emerging technologies? The market plays a pivotal role. The market is the engine that drives commercialization. So you can have a lot of technologies in laboratories and universities, government institutions that are being developed, but unless there's an application where somebody can make a return on their investment in our capitalistic society, it usually gets overlooked. And this is true of everything. Like it's not, it's true of products for the environment, unless they can figure out a way to make money. You know, it's hard to bring those products, even though they'd be very good for our environment to market, to, to people to use. It's true of drugs. The big drug companies, they're all after the blockbuster drugs. They want the drugs that are going to make billions of dollars for them. And these, uh, these diseases that are niche diseases get totally overlooked. Like nobody's putting any money into doing them. And it's, and the same is true for people with disabilities. Like everybody's going to go towards the, the money is going to flow into those ventures, those companies that are going after the biggest potential market, which means the biggest return on investment. And that's, that's just part of our system. Now, of course, we do have universities and, and government-funded institutions and nonprofits that are using their resources to try to commercialize some of this, these products and bring them uh, to, to life, even when there isn't a big market. But it, it pales in comparison. <laughs> the market is the Goliath. And it kind of, you know, it's going to be, you know, a thousand times more powerful than independence because they just don't have the funding to, to do what the market does. So why you rightly pointed out that many of the products out there for the disabled community come because they were mass market products and became developed and then they were repurposed for the disabled community. That won't change unless our system totally changes. And I think though that mentality has to change because we in the disability community are consumers who largely get ignored and we have billions of dollars to spend. So you know, there are people living with invisible disabilities as well. There's money out there, but nobody's coming after us. That's true. And either it's, you know, honestly, if an entrepreneur thinks they can make money and if a venture capitalist, which funds the entrepreneur, sees a return on investment, they will go there. So some of it is communication, right? So 
if there if there is money to be made uh, for them, you you literally and maybe you guys are one of the audience. You know, you become that entrepreneur and you go out and start pitching the venture community, like to get them to fund this. Uh, you have to take that action. And if it's true that there is a big market, I tell you, it will get funded. Nothing where people can make a lot of money is overlooked. <laughs> yeah. it, it isn't. People are greedy, right? It's true. But. Uh, but uh, if there isn't a big market, that's a problem. Yeah. Like that's when it becomes really hard. I'm curious because I've, I've really felt like, especially in the past few years, I feel like wearables have really been something that have been hot and that have been really actively working on and seems to be the new sexy. Is that the case? And what, what kind of new wearables are sort of coming down the pike, if, if any? Wearables have been hot. You know, the Apple Watch, the iWatch, um, Fitbit, all these things, really innovative, coming to market. There's a lot of new ones coming because sensor technology is also improving. Like the, the way we can, you know, sense bodily functions. I know startups out there that are like uh, sensing, they have sensors that can sense the molecular content of people's sweat. And in your sweat that's coming out of your body tells you a lot about your body. There's a lot of information there that they can act upon, whether, you know, you have a disease, whether, you know, how your metabolism is functioning, all these different things. So uh, we're going to continue to see uh, developments with wearables. Uh, you know, we had virtual reality wearables, you know, Apple's uh, said to be releasing a new augmented reality wearable, you know, and some of these may help people with disabilities in multiple ways. So this is going to continue. Now, making wearables and making new hardware devices and new gadgets is a tough business. It is really actually hard. And very, it's not, most of the capital, honestly, today in Silicon Valley is flowing into software because it's so much easier to make so much more money with an application that you put out there for business or consumers than it is to make hardware and distribute that and, and make the profit you would on hardware. So there's some of that dynamic and that slowed wearables down a little. But I will tell you, uh, robotics and wearables, they're tough industries, but they are progressing and there is capital flowing into them and there is enormous potential. I wanna point out one other thing. There's this whole area now, uh, now that we've decoded uh, the, our genome, now that we understand uh, that you know, genetics and how they're the building blocks of life, and we can read this like a computer code, there is gonna be so much innovation around gene editing, just enormous amounts. You know, at Texas A&M, I can give you an example. They have actually found out how to regrow the toes of mice when they are severed. So they can regrow limbs on a, it's not a salamander, it's a mouse. And if they can do that on a mouse, would they be able to do that on a human with a much more complex limb, like a whole hand, not just fingers? Perhaps someday they would. So they are working on that now. In other laboratories, they are actually, they have figured out uh, with stem cells how to, grow brain tissue. Like this is, they are making mini brains, little tiny brains that actually are, that actually have a degree of consciousness, very limited consciousness, but they can actually function. They put one of these mini brains into a robot and it could drive itself around. It could learn to navigate. They put these mini brains into like under the skin of rats, like, and they, they can live a long time and function. So um, this type of development, you can see that someday we may be able to, if somebody has brain damage, right? We may be able to heal that brain damage, like actually regrow parts of the brain, rewire parts of the brain. Um, all sorts of disabilities that uh, people may suffer in the future, these new technologies, um, especially if people are born with these disabilities, we may be able to prevent them by literally editing their genes when they're, you know, before they're conceived, like when they're an embryo, um, you can literally uh, inject the DNA fix to a problem that they would have grown up with, um, whether it would, they would be deaf or blind when they're born and prevent that from happening. So that's a whole nother area that I am super excited about.
I hope I'm gone when they start doing designer babies. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, all of us are going to be like dinosaurs because those designer babies are going to be like superhumans, like with so smart and perfect. And, you know, they won't have, ever get cancer and all this stuff. And we'll yeah. be the old model. I hope I'm gone. Dr. Evil's going to take over. <laughs> yeah, but it's happening. I tell you, they're working on it. That's crazy. Wait, well, speaking of dinosaurs, is anybody working on cloning dinosaurs? <laughs> they are. So oh, actually, George Church out of Harvard, he actually uh, was in my book and endorsed my book. He's, uh, he's uh, a great guy, like one of the premier uh, genetic scientists in the world, probably number one, the best known. He... Um, is actually working on resurrecting the woolly mammoth. So he's basically, they're taking DNA that they found in Siberia from a woolly mammoth, and they are taking elephants today, an elephant embryo, and injecting that in. And it's not really a pure woolly mammoth. It's sort of a hybrid of a woolly mammoth and an elephant. So uh, he's basically said he believes that, that we can repopulate Siberia at some point with these new... Mammophants, you know, woolly mammoth combined with elephants. <laughs> and that's your first step towards Jurassic Park. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, listen, the woolly mammoth is a good place to, to start. They're, they're slow and they're vegetarian. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's okay. Let's, we'll, let's talk again if they start to work on T-Rexes. <laughs> yes, and raptors. We have, have a conversation about that. <laughs> Steve, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out and chatting with us. Uh, super interesting. Love to have you back on and talk again and talk more because I feel like we could have talked for another hour, but easily. Yeah, we didn't even touch on your books or anything like that. So for people who are interested in more information about you, where can they find you? They can go to founderspace.com. Just type in founderspace, go there. My books are there. And a book, if like you love this technology, type in thefiveforces.com and you, that you will find a book that goes into all of this technology uh, in every facet, you know. And you can also find me on social networks. Just search for Founder Space. And are your books available in Kindle or audio? Format? They are. Okay. They're, they're everywhere. Perfect. Excellent. Excellent. And we'll make sure that we include those in our show notes as well. Thank you. All right, Steve. Well, thanks again for joining us and uh, have a great rest of your night. And watch out that, for woolly mammoths. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Man, I want a woolly mammoth. <laughs> a mini woolly mammoth as a house pet. Oh, they didn't even mention that. But yeah, that could be a whole thing. Miniaturization? Absolutely. It's a thing. <laughs> And that's wild. That's pretty wild that they can, if they could regrow limbs, that's, that's a, that would be pretty major. Yeah. Yeah. I'd already sound it. It sounds like they're doing it. So in time, like Steve mentioned, you know, the being able to grow a whole human hand and maybe not just a finger or a toe or grow an ear, or even like he mentioned, print an ear. Um, that's just fascinating. It is really fascinating, but it's also, you know, I just feel like it's technology is really weird in, in a capitalistic society because, because of this whole thing about being driven by the market, you know, we can have these technologies in place that's possible to, to do something, but if there's no real practical application to it, that's going to make somebody money, it doesn't happen. Yeah, there's, there's no feel good willingness to help a specific community, whether it's Parkinson's or whatever, right? It's, it has to be, like you say, market driven, and they're not going to help out the 500,000 people who may have, you know, MS, they're going to go for the bigger populations. That's where the money is. Yeah, well, but I, yeah, I mean, just something's not even, they're not even going to bother bringing something to market unless... And I get it. Like that's, that's the society that we live in. We live in a capitalistic society. That's how people live. People have to make money. No one's going to, you know, do something for nothing unless they can already afford it. And if they can already afford it, they've already made a bunch of money. So, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody has to make a living. So I, so I get it. I get the business case for it, yeah. but it just makes me wonder like how many technologies are completely baked. They're ready to go, but there's just no, real application for that particular technology 
that is is marketable and so that technology just sort of sits and languishes and you know i i think back to the google glass um that was a that was what five six years ago oh at least uh and that thing was pretty much ready like it could have gone to market if if they figured they could have made a a, a go with it but nobody seemed to like it i guess it, it got a lot of pushback did, people didn't seem to be ready for it so it it just went back on the shelf and it's just been sitting there until somebody like apple comes along and sort of you know cracks the code and builds a device that is has real market appeal and then i'm sure you know google and microsoft and facebook they'll all pull the trigger and they will all come out with their own devices but they're always waiting for that that one company to take the plunge and take a risk. And I mean, you could even point to smartphones for that, right? That's what Apple did. They developed a smartphone, they pulled the trigger on it and it worked out, but it could very well have just completely failed as well. Well, and I think something we've mentioned on previous shows over the past number of years is that sometimes the simple tech is the best tech. The white cane is better than any haptic vest, haptic shoes, you know, haptic wristband for mobility than anything else right guide dogs get sick guide dogs are great i had a guide dog loved my guide dog nothing like traveling with a guide dog but they come with issues my cane's sturdy my cane's reliable my cane might break um but it's simple tech right so sometimes simple is best sure but i mean if <laughs> but if you had a a cane that could read your sweat and tell you <laughs> what vitamins you needed for the day and talked to you and gave you the news while you were out tapping. Uh, you know what? That might be, that might be pretty cool too. You know what? My Apple watch battery doesn't last more than two days. How long is it? You're going to have to, they got to improve battery technology first before any of that happens. I'm sure. They're working on that too. I, that, sure. That's a good, I, I, and you know what? We should have asked a little bit about haptics. Cause I am curious about where haptics are. Cause I really do feel like haptics is just something that they've been trying for a while and they just haven't been able to get it to work. <laughs> and I don't know if they ever are like, I just don't know. Well, and I, I'm sure it works for some people, um, but not everybody. Anyways, um, no, that's fascinating stuff. Uh, you know, the other thing, the other component to that that I find fascinating, uh, and we, we talked about this on a past episode, um, and I didn't really bring it up because I didn't think it was, it was really his space, but I would really be curious to know where, who's working on the ethics of all this technology. Like, you know, we have all these startups that are working on this technology and working on products for it and, and working on things like, say, for example, the example that, that he brought up that made me think about this was the, uh, what did he call it? The designer genes or the. Well, and I did try to go in that direction a little bit when I talked about, you know, people with disabilities, some of us don't want to be cured. Some do want to be cured. You know, who, who's working on the ethics or who's deciding the ethics behind some of this technology and are they communicating with the disability communities, engaging with them? Um, well, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's still an individual choice. Like if you is. don't want your, your blindness cured, then don't, you know, you wouldn't have to buy this particular product. Right. But I guess for, for me, like, you know, when you're talking about going in and editing genes, mm -hmm. like I feel like there's going to be pushback on that. Oh, for sure. People, um, people aren't necessarily going to be comfortable with that. We're, like getting pushbacks with, we're getting pushbacks with vaccinations on COVID. <laughs> you think they're going to go in and get gene, gene editing? <laughs> so uh, I guess what I'm curious about is, is that at that stage, do they, do they take that stuff into account or it's just like, they're just working on the technology, like what, what people do with it or what companies then take that technology and how they, they develop and market their product. That's kind of up to them. So it's, it falls to them to come up with the exit. Like, it's just, it would be interesting to know like where, where ethics do start to come into question or even heck even take the woolly mammoth example um you know who's looking at that and going well i don't know is that a good idea is that an, is that an ethical idea i mean i hate to to quote movies but mm -hmm. like look at jurassic park and then you know jeff goldblum's character saying you know you've spent so much time figuring out how to do something you didn't ask yourself the question on whether you should or not right yeah so that's that's really interesting too to me. Um, 
we should have like some sort of a futurist ethics person on sometime to talk about some of that stuff. I know we've had somebody like that on in the past, um, but it would be it would be interesting to revisit that because I find that a really fascinating um, discussion in terms of of like speculative technology and because it really it does get into like when you're talking about augmenting people and there's a price point behind that well then you run into well then rich people are going to be augmented yep. and poor people aren't and then yep. you've got this weird class imbalance not only a class imbalance but you've got a what it is to be a human imbalance right and that's going to could cause all kinds of societal problems or ai like is there a cap on what we're doing with AI? Um, well, I think there is, right? AI started with human intervention and human programming and human intelligence. And AI is at the point now where it learns and teaches itself. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it could get well, terrifying. Well, so exactly, right? So, you know, it's it makes me really curious to know, like, who's 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 thinking about those issues. Yeah, who's thinking about those issues? Because I don't know that it's necessarily startups yeah. or venture capitalists because, you know, they, they want to develop this technology so that they can build a, a marketable product to make money. And that's fair enough. I mean, that's how our society is built. Nothing wrong with that. That's why we have smartphones. That's why we have the internet. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to poo-poo any of that. But at the same time, some of this technology is a little scary uh, because there are some far-reaching, I think, ethical implications of it that uh, hopefully somebody's looking at. All right. Well, let's do some research, see if we can find a guest to bring on the show. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at a cowbell at atbanter.com. And they can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Oh, yeah. Steve's not here, so I guess I got to do this next part. Uh, hey, you can also find us on social media like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay. Well, I already said all that, but yeah, I did. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Until it's the end of the day. <laughs> so that's going to about do it for us this week. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's yes. I am Rob Minot. That's why you can't go away, Steve. You <laughs> throw the entire show off. That's uh, right. Yeah. Well, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, big thanks, of course, to Steve Hoffman, and we will see everybody next week. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.